Hello, I'm your host, Mig, a.k.a. Grasshopper. Welcome to another episode of Fuerza, Inside the Mind of the Ridden Athlete. Our guest today, Katarina Nash, Cliff Bar Pro Athlete. Katarina has been racing most of her life, whether on skis or on bikes. She's a two-time winter Olympian, three-time summer Olympian with a fifth place in Rio. We'll spend some time discussing her changes to her racing schedule. Katarina is a world-class cyclocross racer that has uh, been dipping her toes into gravel and longer distance events. She comes off a win uh, in the Belgian Waffle Ride, second at Telluride 100, fifth at Leadville, and third at the Huffmaster Hopper. We'll spend some time discussing what it is that keeps her fresh, what keeps her motivated, and uh, what keeps her stoked. So stay tuned for more. All right, welcome, Kat. Thanks for being a, our next guest on uh, Fuerza, uh, Inside the Mind of the Ridden Athlete. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Uh, yeah. So I noticed, uh, and looking back and following your, your recent Instagram post that you're not in California, that uh, where are you guys right now and what's up? Uh, so I am in uh, Keystone, Colorado, which is probably about an hour from Leadville. And Leadville will be my uh, next race, final race here in Colorado. So kind of doing a little bit of a, a road trip. Uh, started in San Diego, then went to Telluride 100 and finishing with Leadville. So, um, yeah, not... Uh, uh, now dealing with the fires, it's uh, actually kind of funny because we've had lots of rain here in Colorado. So it's kind of like extreme opposite. Last weekend, I raced through like full on monsoons, so much water, <laughs> so impressive. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of uh, funny how, you know, every state in this country has a, its own little bit of a microclimate. Yeah, and extremes in different degrees that we're mm -hmm. not noticing for sure. And, and how did the race go for you uh, in Leadville? I know you live at elevation, but Telluride is a little bit higher. Was was that an issue or not so much? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Telluride is way, way higher than like Tahoe area. And uh, I definitely needed a little bit more time to prepare. You know, I felt like I was pretty good going into Belgian Waffle Ride as far as heat adaptation. But then with Leadville being kind of a big, big race on my summer schedule i wanted to really prepare so telluride was kind of like that initial shock to nine ten thousand feet and now i've been kind of floating between that nine to twelve thousand feet um this week and i think that will that will benefit me i just um you know i'm pretty comfortable around that six thousand feet seven thousand but anything higher i just need a little extra adaptation so pretty thankful mm -hmm. to have the time in colorado and be able to kind of figure it out yeah and would you say i know the time that i've been been in elevation and actually lived in telluride for a while that if you're if you're keeping a, a consistent effort for a longer event like leadville or telluride 100 that you don't get you don't get into that deprivation like you do if you're doing intensity and punchy things so um how is it that you've adapted, uh, you know, the way that you that, that you ride or is it that you've been riding long enough that you basically know this is how long I can go for this for this distance? <laughs> or are you watching your numbers? Uh, no, I'm not much of a number person when especially when it comes to racing. I definitely 
kind of monitor the feeling and uh the long distance it's still it's it's still learning curve for me you know i've definitely come from the shorter distance uh many many years of racing cyclocross and cross-country mountain biking some stage racing which you know you go up to like four maybe five hours but we're talking eight hours 20 minutes at telluride so it's a whole different story um so uh kind of that feeling and knowing my body knowing what i can do uh that's that's the most crucial but uh yeah I, I feel like any any of this long distance to me it's it's like it's not really racing it's kind of surviving so to speak so i definitely approach it somewhat con conservative and then uh try to try to manage my energy throughout the day and you know save it up for for the finish <laughs> Yeah. Tell me about the, the mental preparation. You're, you're, you have the luxury of, of having had a very, I mean, luxury is the right word, a very long career of, of knowing yourself as an athlete. And, but you're going to be moving it, you're moving to some events where, where there's unknowns. I, I saw your post about, for example, for the uh, Belgian waffle ride and this one, you know, you, if you're comfortable in a shorter event and you mentioned now it's just kind of survival, is, is it kind of just letting yourself off the hook and the expectations a little bit? And knowing that you'll do well if you're in survival mode or how, what's the mental process when it's an unknown I, or unfamiliar I as an athlete i i definitely enjoy the challenge i you know i've had many many years of doing the same thing and that was kind of the world cup mountain biking cyclocross uh world cup so i it was quite familiar with that effort and what it takes to prepare for that what it takes to get through the race and so what i've been doing uh more recently is definitely playing around with different distance uh different style of racing and it's it's kind of makes cycling really fun because there's new things to learn you know like i I did not even eat in the mountain bike cross country events. They were just too short, you know, and now I'm looking at seven, eight hours of racing and it's like you pounding cliff product because you have to get through the day. And it's like, how much do I need to eat to make it to the hour seven, hour eight and that kind of thing. So it's a learning curve. It's uh it's a little bit nerve wracking for me because uh, you know, it's, it's still, like I've done few, you know, obviously grasshoppers and lost and found, and I've done Leadville once, but <clears throat> I still consider myself kind of new to this distance. And so it's, uh, it's fun to keep learning, but like any other racing, I try to, I try to do my best. So I don't want to enter a race going like, well, I've never done this distance. So I probably won't do well, so I shouldn't be nervous. That's not my thing. I'm just kind of like, what are the steps that I need to do to be my best, you know, whether that is best in the entire field or just, just best on my day. So it's, uh, yeah, it's always kind of focused approach. Right. Right. And, you know, I, I guess I assume I go into this podcast, assuming that everyone that, that hears your name knows, uh, who you are, but, but, you know, I don't think that is the case for everybody though they should, um, you know, and I, you've been in the Olympics twice as a cross country skier and three times, uh, uh, in the mountain bike discipline. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. With a top five in Rio. And that's, that's a, was a phenomenally difficult course and difficult conditions, right? Yeah, it was, I mean, I really enjoyed the course. I, um, uh... I raced London uh, four years before that, and that wasn't really very technical. So I was pretty excited to see where the Rio um, 
course, kind of the direction of mountain biking was heading, and it was pretty pretty fun to watch Tokyo see probably another step up. So um, I uh, yeah no, I mean Tokyo was great. Uh, I mean <laughs> Rio was great. <laughs> I had a I had a good uh, good day on the bike and just just sort of enjoy my Olympic experience and really had a good result, even though um, you know. Deep, deep down, I really wanted that medal, but it didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was a good slip there when you said Tokyo, because when I saw that course and how difficult it was, you know, I, I, I thought of you. Do you, you feel like that course would have suited you? Oh, well, it's hard to tell. I mean, we hard get to, to see, you know, little fractions. Pieces of it little pieces of the course. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's always easier to sit on the couch and be like, oh, yeah, I would do great on that course. And I could definitely hang in that lead group, you know. But the reality is sometimes different. And I, I haven't put in the time for cross-country mountain bike racing the last, honestly, since since Rio Olympics. So I'm, you know, I'm just enjoying it <laughs> on that couch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think if I could be any athlete, um, with their lifestyle, it would be you or you and Jeff combined, perhaps. <laughs> um, and to be able to see, you know, what you've what you've done across the disciplines and uh, with the BC stage race, and now getting into to gravel, basically keeping it fun, and obviously not putting a disclaimer that I won't be competitive and do well because I know you like to compete. Uh, but it's 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 been fun watching your career, and I and I see like a, a bit of a resurgence here as you're moving into longer uh, endurance stuff uh, at this point in, in your career. So that, that must be, must be fun for you. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, I think it's like, for me, it's important to learn new things and challenge myself in different ways. Like with the mountain bike cross country um, focus for so long, I just felt like, well, this is, this is pretty much like, it's all about the fitness. You know, I've ridden all these courses multiple times. I'm going to the same venues year after year. And there was just like suddenly nothing new to learn. I mean, the riders change in the field. There's always somebody amazing, much younger coming in the field and the smoking everybody else. But um, I am pretty stoked on what's happening with cycling in general and the different events that we get to compete in and the kind of like the different directions that, uh, that the athletes can take, you know, versus just kind of choosing one and sticking with it the entire career, which it does work for somebody. It, it, you know, it's, uh, it's fun if somebody kind of dedicates just their time to road racing or mountain biking or whatnot. But like for me, I think the reason why I stayed in it this long is that there's always something new to try and new challenges. And uh, I, I keep learning and I, I, I have I have a lot of fun with it still. So, yeah. Yeah. On that point, you know, I, I was looking back. I was look. I couldn't find the photo, but I do recall when you came to your first first grasshopper. And, and the podium that year was uh, Kate Courtney, uh, Katie Hall, and yourself. So the three Ks, that's a pr pretty stacked pretty stacked podium. And, uh, you know, we've always advertised it as a training event. And that's mostly just to keep it keyed down. We know that when you have local bragging rights, that for people, it, it's more than that. So we had a cyclocross racer, uh, a, a road racer. Katie Hall was the North American Cyclist of the Year. And Kate Courtney won the World Championship that year. So to take a, a, a sport uh, like cycling and the grasshoppers, which are really confusing and hard to understand and what bike, and then to have people with those things uh, 
all merge. Uh, we see that happening on the regular these days with with gravel events where you have people coming over from disciplines because it's just it's fun and it's new and it's uh, there's problems to solve, whether it's equipment or it's eating or it's hydration. So it's it's really fun to see you mixing it up out there. For sure. I mean, I think uh, gravel is the, you know, I look at gravel now and I'm just like, this is the perfect melting pot of all the different cyclists that are out there and we're all having fun together. And there's just something special about riding drop bar bikes on trails or through rivers or whatnot. <laughs> it seems like we're just doing something we shouldn't be doing almost. And it just makes it really fun. So yeah. Yeah. Too much fun. If you're, if Pushing. you're in Marin, you get busted by the fun police. I think it'd be maybe <laughs> illegal having too much fun. So tell me about, I see that you're on the, uh, the UCI athletes, um, Commission. What what is that role, and 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 uh, what what does that mean for you specifically being involved um, with that? So I represent uh, cyclocross and the athletes commission. So uh, there's a each each cycling discipline gets to elect their representative. It's one female and one male, and it's a four year term. And I just been reelected for the second term. And at the same time, I was a president of the athletes commission, which that position is ending. With the end of this year, um, there will be re-election and I can run again. Uh, and then as a president of the Athletes Commission, I was also part of the Management Commission, uh, which I'm still part of until the end of the year as well. So, yeah, and uh, just kind of a, a quick little summary. I, I represent the athletes, um, everything related to UCI and a lot of the major decisions. And uh, it's been great learning experience. And it's been a little bit of, uh, you know, extra, extra work away from my uh, riding job. And so it's been kind of a good mixture of uh, giving back, learning and be part of uh, some decision making process. Uh, awesome. Um, and to put you on the hot seat a little bit here, not knowing that you, you your work work with the UCI, you've been a UCI racer and now you're doing gravel events. And it's quite clear that a UCI wants to make gravel a discipline of its own and, and a world championship. And they've been reaching out to USA Cycling to lead the way, having a national championship. And there's been very strong feelings about that one way or the other. Um, and my take on it without not the the big picture of it, but it, it's it's bike racing, and um, you know whether it belongs or doesn't. That is it a separate discipline? If you look at the header of the UCI page, and you have cyclocross and mountain bike and road, and in your mind, does that is there a drop down menu for gravel under UCI? Does that have a a place for UCI to come in? And if it does, is that a net positive, net negative, neutral? I mean, I think time will tell what's uh, what's great about, uh, you know, UCI stepping into the discipline. Uh, it will, you know, it will create new opportunities for a lot of the riders that are trying to make a career out of gravel and having a chance to compete for a rainbow jersey one day. I think that's that's really exciting. And if there's a group of people that don't want to do that, then there is tons of other gravel events that will just stay the same they are. So uh, as as a racer, I think it's always nice to have all the options. And I think what's cool about gravel is that, you know, it will always be mass participation events that uh, the best athletes in the world will get to race the same course as all the amateur athletes. And we get to have, you know, we, we get to 
have like that con that finish line conversation about uh the course about um you know what did what did you eat what did you you know what tires did you run what equipment did you use and so i i see that super exciting because you don't have that at the mountain bike world championship you don't have that at the world road world championship or like bmx bmx freestyle or whatnot it's you know it's those those events are pretty exclusive and we watch them on tv and we get inspired but having gravel mix all together i think it's uh it, it could be pretty fun to have like people fighting for the rainbow jersey on the course that you know the rest of the rest of people get to race as well so uh yeah we'll see i mean i think it's pretty exciting where it's heading and uh uh i just i just think it's uh it's pretty cool that Pretty cool to see the interest and the amount of people that that really want to participate in this not so new, not so new category, right? <laughs> right. From, uh, giving your experience and the grasshoppers, like how long they've been around, and like, I mean, I grew up in Eastern Europe. We rode gravel, you know, back back in the eighties. You know, we just didn't call it gravel. <laughs> so yeah, it's something that's been around forever, but now it's kind of like having um, it's kind of being on a pedestal. And I don't know. I think it'll be fun to yeah. see where it, where it goes. Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and and to your point about people always riding on the gravel, it, it's absolutely true. And we would do that on our road bikes, you know. And even some of the some of the founders of mountain biking who are on you know bikes forever, Otis Guy and and Tom Ritchie said we've been doing this forever. And it took them a really long time to realize, yeah, you have been. And you know what? Bigger tires, bigger volume, different geometry. It's really fun. You know, I was talking to Otis a while back, and it's like they were just like, "We've done this. We did this." You're like, "Yeah,", yeah. but you know, um, yeah, no, I'm I, I fit in that category. If you ask yeah. me about gravel a few years back, I'd be like, "Whatever gravel bike, I have a cross bike. Why couldn't I do it on, on the cross bike?" And you know, I've ridden gravel in my road bike, but now that I have a proper you know, a proper gravel bike. I run the Diverge with a little bit of suspension and it's just like, it's such a different mindset. I think I had, I set up uh, Max's Rambler last spring and I put so many miles on that bike. So like, I just like, I rode gravel so much last year on one tire, never got a flat. I just like, why would I change it? I haven't got a flat. And uh, it seriously lasted a whole year. So the equipment, yeah, yeah. The equipment uh, really like changed my perception of what gravel is, and just having that not not just the comfort uh, with the extra suspension in the bigger volume tires, but also like never getting flat tires because you know you can run Kushkor and uh, right. Like before, yes, I rode gravel, but I mean, you rode much slower because you were always worried about flat tires and just destroying the equipment. But now the the gravel bikes can handle quite a bit and uh that's that's pretty rad yeah i have to yeah. say i've probably spent most of my time on the gravel bike in the last year compared to all, all my other bikes <laughs> yeah and you're if you're not on the rocky stuff in tahoe if you're down in marin and sonoma county you can really underbike and the giggle factor in the winter when when you get like this time of year when it's loose it's not quite as fun because of the looseness of it but uh you know, in this in this area or in Santa Cruz, when it when it's hero conditions on a gravel bike is just absolutely thrilling. Mm -hmm. um, let me ask you about growing up because I know that you come from a small town in in the Czech Republic, probably not much bigger than 
maybe smaller than Truckee of 10, 12,000 people. Uh, but you've been living in the States most of, most of your adult life. You were, you were what, uh, late, late teens when you moved to the States? Uh, actually, I came to university just a little bit older, so about 22. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I've spent most of my adult life in, in a different country, even though I do um, frequently make it back to, back to Europe. So. Yeah, and it's a big deal living in a different place. I, I imagine it's not day in and day out that you have culture shock, but, but being from, from Eastern Europe and being in the United States, um, is, it, is, it just, is it just home for you? Are there pieces of it that you're just, I imagine this last year you couldn't travel or a year and a half, and, and that's probably the longest you've ever had without going home, right? Yes, it was definitely a strange year because, like I said, I, I was fortunate enough, thanks to my racing with Cliff Bar, I, I would go back to Europe, you know, twice a year at least and i would always uh you know skip the i would skip the hotel room for the week and go go see my family and uh you're being so small and easy to get around so mm -hmm. yeah i was quite used to just always being being with my parents for you know two to four weeks a year just kind of uh um making it back so with covid year it was quite strange i mean i if i needed to travel i could because i still have uh you know, I, I only have a year EU passport, actually. I'm a green card holder in the United States. So if I needed to go back to Europe, I could have. But obviously, the situation was uh, not ideal. And my family, everybody was doing good throughout the COVID year. So it didn't require kind of taking a risk and traveling. And so it worked out. But uh, yeah, I finally made it back to Europe this spring spring in June and uh, I felt really good to get back to to Czech Republic and I also spent a few days in Switzerland and just uh, just being back in Europe so anyway back to your question I think I you know I, I definitely still feel very much European I will always be Czech uh, I have everybody back home and a uh, large family and a uh, lot of friends but I have uh, you know, I have a little bit of that in the U.S. as well. I mean, my my community is huge, and I've been fortunate to meet a lot of people through skiing first, and then cycling, and then in Truckee and East Bay, and through Cliff Bar, and just like having all these different communities. So they both kind of feel like home, uh, and uh, I'm kind of thankful to have an opportunity to live in a different country because I think it. You know, I think it's good for anybody to kind of take that leap of faith and just see what else is out there and travel and uh, and learn about way of life in different places. So mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Yeah, you know, you you broaden your world rather than than narrow it. You know, and starting with the focal point of what you love and what you do for a living, which is riding bikes. You you know, you create community in places with something you love, and only good things can come of that. Well, mostly good things can come of that, right? <laughs> Um, I also noticed that you've been, you know, a mentor. Yeah, I, I saw, I didn't know you back at the time, but with the, with the Cliff Bar uh, women's team, and I had a poster from, I think I was at the first meeting in, in uh, Tam Rancho with, with Matt Fritzinger for the NorCal High School League, and they were giving out posters of you guys, and, uh, and you've been with the Little Bellas. So obviously that's been a, a focus for you all along, having an all-women's team and advocating for women cyclists and I have two daughters, so seeing you uh, bring the Stoke, the Little Bellas, that's just like the most endearing program I could imagine. So, um, tell me about those things that you're that you're involved with, and 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 who that who that serves. 
So I, I'm not specifically like, uh, I'm not a founder of anything or I'm not like, I don't, you know, I don't have my own thing going, but I, I just try to be there for those kids whenever opportunity comes up. So whether it's, uh, you know, any of the NICA teams that I've gone and ridden with, or uh, we've done clinics with the little Bellas, or um, uh, I'm sort of connected through another um, group of little uh, little riders from upstate New York, actually, uh, called the Saratoga Shredders. And the connection there is uh, my friend has a daughter and she named her after me. And uh, she's part of this riding group. And they, I think in the COVID year, they had up to 60 little girls uh, in their riding club. And I send them all a bunch of jerseys and stuff so there's a bunch of little girls running around in luna or cliff jersey <laughs> so anyway uh it's it's been fun and i think uh back when we raced for um for luna we actually had these luna ambassador teams which was uh these uh clubs all around the country it was around 200 women all around the united states mainly focused on the larger cities and they were uh they were just essentially getting more women together uh, for either bike rides or triathlon practice or run or any kind of uh, like kind of non-competitive outdoorsy activities. And the pro team was heavily involved with that program. And we would go and travel to these communities and teach clinics and get women together and inspire everybody to just live a little bit or healthier lifestyle and uh, just show them that the outdoors activities are a great option to going to a gym and great way to not just socialize, but learn about new things and just have fun with other women out on the trail. So it's, uh, yeah, I think that's been, uh, you know, just, just as meaningful as any of the race results for me, just kind of constantly running into um, women that somehow, you know, like we cross path, whether it was in Texas or uh, Washington or, you know, Iowa, and just having that connection through like, oh yeah, we did that bike ride one day and it was awesome. You know, you bought us all ice cream and that was cool. You know, <laughs> So <laughs> those kind of things are pretty fun. Yeah. Would you say, you know, in, in turning to the mental aspect a little bit of being a racer, um, which uh, spectators or people who aren't racing don't really get to see that. They see they listen to the podcast and watch the videos. And, and um, you know, it, it's, it's like as, as a cyclist, there is a level of suffering that has to happen. Maybe one needs it to happen, wants it to happen. And it's not, um, you know, to get the results that we want, it's not a matter of just liking to ride or people say, oh, I just love to my, my bike. I ride to train. Now, we both know those places in, in cycling and I was going through your photos and I've seen some of your expressions, uh, you know, the, the joy of the victory, but some of the ones caught in the moment. Um, tell me a little bit about your process or, or a, as an athlete, you know, being able to do the work that you need to do at the time that you need to do it. And, um, you know, what, what's that, what's that like at, 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 at the top, top level? I think, um, I mean, for me it has kind of changed throughout my career. I, I started at very young age and very, 
uh, kind of very focused. Ski, ski racing is pretty intense when it comes to training. You know, there's multiple sessions a day, a lot of intensity because the racing is anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes typically. You might have 30K, which is an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, a couple times a year. But most of that, like most of the distance is 5K, 10K, 15K. So these are very fast, very intense. So the lot of the training reflects of that. So it's just like a lot of short, all-out intervals. And as hard as it sounds, I think that definitely that helped me to build the engine. Um, once I switched to cycling, I, I actually had to work pretty hard on that, like an hour to two hours kind of threshold, you know, being able to climb for 30 minutes. Like I always did really well in short track. I always did really well in cyclocross but it it took few years to build that kind of steady engine for uh for two hour mountain bike ride and i'm still working on that you know for all this long long distance so uh but having having that big chunk of my early career like knowing that feeling of just going all out and you know, like if you watch the Winter Olympics, you definitely see the Nordic skiers like they're collapsing at the finish because they just used every single muscle to get up that hill and then try to, you know, not crash on the way down <laughs> to the finish. So, um, yeah, so that that's been uh, that's been kind of my early athletic career. And I've benefited from that. Uh, tremendously because I have that like murder yourself mentality that's been easy to dig dig into but then like that survival mode that like okay now you have to pace it for five hours that's something I really had to work hard later in my later in my career so and, and I would assume that now you're able to recognize that okay this is like a, a subset of a skill or a skill that I need to learn and then you're applying things that you've done um to that and I um yeah and as and sadly you know like as you age you also start losing the things that you've had in your pocket like I could always you know I could always go hard and I could go hard one day and I could go hard the next day and then you know and just do it all over and you know do it one weekend on one continent and the next weekend on the other continent and it was it was easy you know not not easy but it was just like you know, and then you had mid thirties and suddenly you're like, man, the speed's not there and I can't push my body as much as often. So then you start kind of working on other, other things and, you know, hoping for like your experience and your endurance to kind of come through and shine and help you to get a good result, um, you know, in the, in the field of racers that are much, much younger. So it's, uh, it's once again, it's super interesting because our bodies are evolving and what, you know, what I could count on 15 years ago, it may not be there anymore, but now I might have some other skill set. So it's, uh, it's, it's nice to kind of keep balancing what you get and what, uh, and understanding what you don't have anymore. <laughs> Right. It was cool to see you out at the, out at the Huffmaster and then again at, um, at, at BWR and, you know, to be racing with women, um, you know, ha half your age and still be and still be competing there 
with different strength sets. Uh, I, one of the things I always loved about cycling is that the the age, the the length of one's career, if they take care of themselves, whether it's professionally or recreationally, and, and a lot of the recreational riders I know who were former racers, like Roger Battelle's. Roger's just starting to let it go a little bit. I think Roger's turning 62 this year. So, you know, it was, it was into his mid fifties that he was, that he was hitting it. So, um, Oh, you'd never under underestimate Roger for sure. <laughs> no, no. He's one of those guys. If he's not ahead and you're chasing him, you know, he's behind you and he's trying to catch yeah, you. So, he, for sure. he's, there, so he's there somewhere. Um, Tell me again, like talking about the mental part, can you think of a, a, a poignant time? And I was reading about one of your races where you had an accident or something crashed early and coming back to a, a third, a podium at a World Cup race, like a moment in a race where um, it just took the beyond anything that you'd ever done before or that really stands out to you in terms of like the grittiness or, or, per, or perseverance, not, not just mad skills, like the jingle cross. When you won that, I was like, of course she did. Cause she's just, <laughs> she's just a badass. But can, do you have any, any stories you could share with our listeners of, of something that would, that stands out in that, in that realm? Oh, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's non nonstop really. I mean, like the <laughs> mental pieces, it's, yeah, it's, it's so important. And I definitely, I'm a fighter, you know, I'm a fighter, whether it's like a local race, I'm going to beating up on a bunch of dudes or whether it's World Cup, like I just, uh, you know, I don't have that mentality of some riders. They're like, okay, I'm just going to train through all these races and peak for the one big thing. Like, I don't have that. Like, I just love going to any race and do do my best, you know, and that's something I also like wanted to be respectful of cliff bar as our sponsor like if they are going to send me to a race i need to be prepared i need to be ready i can't just be like oh i've been training through this week and i'm not quite ready like you know so yeah i'm i'm kind of that racer who you know if you if you're gonna show up i want to do well and i fully understand that that doesn't always mean winning the races but i'll definitely put up a fight um that's that's kind of that's kind of how i how I roll but i do have to say a few years ago I, I i jumped into grasshopper early on it was right after cyclocross season and i had no business doing 80 miles or whatnot you know <laughs> and uh i was riding with carl Decker and Barry Wicks and I think those guys weren't quite ready for it either and we actually like we backed off from the race pace and we rode it in and it was my first time kind of like doing an event that wasn't you know it wasn't 100% racing and it was so enjoyable I was like <laughs> Now I understand why all these people show up and they're like, oh, this is so fun. And they're drinking beer at the finish and they're having the best day. And I'm just shattered, you know, after all these races, because I, I never had the mentality of like backing off those, like, I don't know, 15, 20% and just like having a beautiful Saturday ride. So it was, it was really, really fun because, you know, here I am with two two guys that normally would be like kicking my ass, but we're all kind of having a rough day and at the same time having an awesome bike ride. And it, it was, it was kind of a unique turning point for me. <laughs> That's awesome that there are some days, you know? Yeah. That's, and I think, you know, it happened early on for the grasshoppers. I started and right about the time I stopped 
racing and I realized, okay, well, this is my competitive outlet. So I don't care if people compete or not, but, but it's on, I don't care if it's January, February, March. And some of the local pros would show up when it was supposed to be kind of their base season, but everyone is out was, was throwing all their punches. And so it kind of, it, we developed that reputation. Like, well, if you show up that day, like, well, these guys who you normally beat on are going to take advantage of you. So it's, yeah. it's fun to hear you mix in there. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and Je- Jeff was part of the early group coming out to the grasshoppers and, and, um, I've always enjoyed putting on something where I, the one that stands out in my mind, we had done King Ridge with everybody, which everybody knows, Oh, you do King Ridge, you do King Ridge. So I said, well, we're going to drop down through salt point through the dirt. At that time we were all on road bikes, you know, cause you wouldn't have ridden your cross bike out there. Right. <laughs> and of course you have to help yourself. There's no mechanics, there's no wheels. Jeff flatted, stopped, fixed it, rode up, caught everybody, dropped us and, 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 and rode away nonetheless. Um, <laughs> speaking of, right. uh, right. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a good. One. So you talked about being competitive, which is that's great. You fall into my axiom, which I always tell people that I'm not competitive unless I'm not sure I can win. So maybe that's you too. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of, which is kind yeah. of always. So I noticed you've gotten a race with uh, Vita a couple times lately. Yes, yes, I've been watching Vita for a while, and I mean it's kind of you know it's ironic because I spent big part of my mountain bike World Cup career racing with her and mary (laughs) it's kind of neat i mean i'm a little bit younger than mary but uh, much much older than vida so it's kind of fun to see a new generation and obviously i mean i've been watching all this new generation for last decade all the all the norcal ladies and uh well kids boys and girls just kind of making it to the elite ranks but yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty stoked to keep watching vida and uh yeah i don't I hope to stay on her wheel a little longer. <laughs> yeah, the NorCal the NorCal crew is is strong around here, and with uh, uh, Luke Lamperti having won the national championships, um, that was exciting. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The women's the women's field in the Bay Area. We always talk, we always talk about that. If you come out to a, an event or a hopper or a race locally, it's ex- expected to be deep. Um, so I have a little segment on here uh, that I, of the podcast called "This or That." just kind of for fun. I've got a list of 10 things and, and it's just kind of rapid fire. We have to pick one of them that for whatever reason. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Some related to bike, some not. All right. Cycle cross bike, gravel bike. I go for gravel bike. <laughs> okay. More uh, uses. <laughs> uh, US, Europe. Ooh, that's hard. Uh, Europe. <laughs> okay. Mountains or ocean? Mountains. Sunrise or sunset? Oh, sunset. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, mountain bike, MTB or gravel? Mountain bike. Yeah. <laughs> I still say like this is this was my first year to travel with a gravel bike. Like I always tell you, if I put a bike in my car, it has to be my mountain bike. If I have room for the gravel bike. But uh it's fun. Uh, uh pasta or sushi? Sushi. Astronaut or sailor? Oh. Sailor. <laughs> I don't want to go to Plant. space. Sounds scary. <laughs> Climb or descend? Oh, descend for sure. <laughs> I only climb to get to the descent. 
Right. Yeah, I saw you. You competed in an enduro last year as well, right? <laughs> I, tr I tried a couple. <laughs> you tried. Uh, you have to or you get to? Ooh. I guess get get to. <laughs> Depends on the time of day on it how many chores. That's really the, the what follows the question. <laughs> it depends. Yeah, yeah. All right. That, those are good ones. So I just want to jump back on one of them that you mentioned, mountain bike um, over gravel. But they're, they're a great compliment. That would be like me asking you to choose cross-country skiing over biking. And I feel like uh, you're an athlete that exemplifies just riding the bike that's fun and the place that's fun and not necessarily sticking to one or other. And your answer about the future gravel was great. It's like, well, we'll see. It's, uh, you know, we're yeah, fortunate I mean, to be I doing something. I feel so. fortunate to have, uh, you know, great sponsors and having all the bikes um, because I, I definitely like, I, I would have a hard time choosing just one. I think it's so fun. Every, every bike kind of offers some unique, um, I don't know, unique experiences, so to speak. And, you know, I can't imagine life without a mountain bike, honestly. I think that's a, uh, that's probably the bike that provides most fun, you know, because there's nothing better than riding awesome trails. So, yeah. And it's where I draw the line is that if I'm going to not enjoy my downhill, if I end up someplace on my gravel bike, like if I'm dropping off a TAM or someplace else in Tahoe, where I feel restricted by my descending, or if I, if I knew if I just yeah. ridden my hard, hard tail, then I was like, well, maybe that was not right. the right bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to, you want, you want to enjoy the downhill. That's for sure. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of full suspension bikes and just, uh, uh, yeah. See dropper, you know, low pressure, just all of that. <laughs> Yeah, whatever whatever is funner tends to be tends to be my answer when people ask me about bikes and tire choices for 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 the events. For sure, which is yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time chatting, uh, and I look forward to you know seeing following along on your adventures, living vicariously with, with your with your dog mom lifestyle, <laughs> and the most laid back uh, crusher with 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 under most underspoken. Uh, Shredder with Jeff Gabush as you guys are out on your adventures and, uh, and enjoy and best of luck up in Leadville. Continue your crushing series after the hoppers and Belgian waffle and Telluride. And, uh, yeah, well, thank, thanks for having me and hopefully we'll see you at the hopper later this year or early next spring. Sounds good. Okay. Take care. Kat. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>